home we were designed for, the home we were destined for, the home we should look like and think like and walk like. This is Jesus sending us these letters in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And we're looking today at uh, this, this passage from, uh, from the second chapter, verses 18 to 28, the church at Thyatira, which is very similar to the church at Pergamum we looked at last week. Some, some, similar, some similarities, but some differences here because the church at Thyatira is making some progress. And things are getting better, yet there are some issues. Let's look and see. Verse 18, to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching... She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, To those who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To those who are victorious and do my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. They will rule over them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give them the morning star. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Making progress here is what they were up to, but there were some issues in play and some issues that sometimes boost our progress and sometimes suck our progress from being what it should be. So let's look at these things together. Making progress, first of all, is a well-rounded pursuit. It's a well-rounded pursuit. Look at verse 19. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, and perseverance. You are now doing more than you did at first. You're now doing more than you did at first. You're headed in the right direction, he says here. You're making progress. You're on the right course. In these five areas that really matter, what are they? Well, it's deeds, it's love, it's faith, service, and perseverance. What's he saying? You're active. There are some deeds to account for your, your, your faith. You're doing something with your faith. It's, it's more than just believing the right things. It's more than just coming to church and fellowshipping together. It's more than just walking through the lens of his word sometimes. You, you, there's some feet to it. There's, there's some skin on your faith. You, you have skin in the game. There's, 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 there's a wake following you. As you leave a situation or a circumstance, it's different because you were there. You, you were the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment, in that circumstance, in that situation. There are deeds to show for your faith. Secondly, he says, you're loving well. You're doing what you're doing. You're doing these deeds from the right perspective, from the right motive. Your deeds are motivated by love. He said, when your deeds are motivated by love, I'm going to bless all over that. We saw that in the second letter. But he said, your love is the basis. It's the motivation for the deeds that you're doing, for the evidence that that your your faith is strong, it exists, and there's action to it. Love is the motive behind that. Faith is the third thing. He said, your deeds and your love have the proper foundation, the proper beliefs. There's some some theology into this. He said, it's important what you believe. We saw that last week in this letter to Pergamum. He said, you're doing the good things, but you believe in junk. 
Here he said, you're believing the right things. Your faith is growing. Your faith is, your faith is servicing your love and servicing your deeds to say there's foundation to all of that. There's a, there's a belief system to all that's, that's in place. He said, you're, you're making progress there. It's good, it's good stuff. Next he says, it's, it's about service, meaning life is not about you. It's about others. It's about folks. Great lesson for this, not only to this church at Thyatira, but to Cross Point Church and every other church in America today especially the generation behind us and probably the one behind that, life is not about you. When will we learn to get over ourselves? That life is about meeting me, making sure my itches are scratched, my needs are met, my desires are, 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 are become reality. And the greatest lesson in this, in this picture here to, to, to Thyatira, he said, you're getting it. You're understanding that life is not about you. You're serving others. You're getting beyond yourselves, beyond where it's convenient, beyond where it's comfortable, to pour yourself into the life of someone else. So you're getting that. Your deeds are great, your love is great, your faith is great, and your service is great too. But finally, he says here, it's about perseverance. He's saying, I know this isn't easy, but there's never any progress without perseverance. There's never any progress unless we learn to first persevere. If you've been a Christian more than 15 minutes, probably you learn to persevere something, whether it's somebody you have to deal with at work, whether it's a family situation, a, a physical situation on your own. There are things in life to persevere, and he says that perseverance will lead you to a place of progress that you'll never realize without the perseverance. It's the vehicle to the progress. And I, he, he wraps this, this five-part gift up by saying, all this is good, but you're going to have to stay at it. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to walk with some consistency to, to, to what you've seen, what you've experienced, and what you've known. I know it, it isn't easy, but life is more than being about religious busyness. And I, I fear that in church after church and kingdom situation after kingdom situation, we find ourselves engulfed in religious busyness thinking, I'm okay with God because I'm busy about religious things. And he said, Listen, no, it's not about religious things. It's not about religious business, busyness. It's about your deeds mattering for, for the kingdom. It's about your love mattering for the kingdom, your service mattering for the kingdom, your faith being revealed for the kingdom. And people seeing that action and that motivation and that walk out of your life more than just being religiously busy. But I think the more important thing here that he's saying in verse 19 is he says, I see all of that in all of you all the time. I see all you're doing, all that all of you are doing all the time. I see it. You may think it goes unnoticed because you're in a hard place. You're you're in some difficult circumstances, but I see all of your perseverance. I see your walk. I understand understand you're getting it and your progress, your growth here that he's saying to them and to us, this needs to be lived out in balance. We can't just be all deeds and no faith. Why? Because we'll burn out. And person after person after person, I know over the, over the years of ministry and kingdoms in kingdom work, has burned out because they're 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 doing a lot of things, but it's not motivated in love, and it's not motivated by a foundation of faith. And so, he said these five things have to interplay with each other: our deeds, our love, our faith, our service, our perseverance. They need to walk in unison together. This is a balanced approach to how we make progress in our faith. He said if you get out of balance. Progress suffers. A well-rounded pursuit, verse 19. Secondly, making progress seldom means greater tolerance. Look at verse 20 with me. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. You tolerate that woman. I can almost hear the, the Lord himself saying, that woman. You tolerate that woman. And in fact, he, she's, 
she's really not much of a woman, the way he's saying that woman, I think, with emphasis here in this verse. But he's saying, you you, you made great progress, but in that progress, you've let your guard down. Because that woman, that Jezebel, and this, whether, whether this is literal, that there was a woman named Jezebel in this church, whether it's an Old Testament reference to Jezebel in the Old Testament, saying the, the embodiment of immorality and evil, whether it's literal or figurative, it's unimportant. The point is this. I, I believe it's literal. I believe there was a woman named Jezebel in, in the church there at Thyatira. But whether, whether or not it is literal or figurative is unimportant. What he's saying here is she is neither a prophetess nor much of a woman. Yet you're, find, you're finding yourself being, in, being led away. Not only uh, did they tolerate this adultery in verse 22, uh, they, they allowed this to happen, but they also allowed her influence. Notice here she taught those around her to say, this is okay. This is right. This is good. In fact, we looked at some of that last week, how this, this idea of Balaam making this way in the New Testament church says to test all the evil, to see if it's wrong for you. Go ahead and walk in it. Figure, you, you'll figure it out on your own. Walk in it. And if, if, you, if you feel no conviction that it's not wrong for you, then it's not wrong for you. And God is, it's okay in, in God's eyes for you. He said, listen, that's totally from hell. It should smell like smoke to you. You should realize this is evil. Not only is she walking in adultery before you, she's enticing you into thinking, that's okay. That's somehow good. That's somehow blessed of God. He's saying that this life of a sinner, and this is hard for us. It's the hardest thing in my view about walking with Jesus. That is our ability or our inability to love the sinner and hate the sin at the same time. It's the hardest thing I've ever experienced as a pastor is to love that person through in the midst of and around and in spite of their sin, yet <clears throat> at the same time not condoning that behavior and, and being intolerant of sin. If I absorb that behavior, then I'm absorbing the fact that Jesus is, this is wrong, this is evil, and I'm intolerant of it, then you should be too. He's saying here, don't walk in that way. Here's the problem. Sin is never satisfied staying to itself. It never is. It always wants to lure, to teach, to entice, to trap, to pull, to sway. It always does. That's the way the enemy works. That's exactly what Jezebel, Jezebel was doing here at Thyatira. She was pulling others into the, into the pot. She was pulling others into this lifestyle, into this mindset, into this theology to say, this is somehow okay. In fact, beyond okay, it's good. God designed this for you to enjoy. You should participate in it because he's, he's warranted it to be good. Since sin is never okay with itself, it always wants to, to, to teach, to influence, to lure, to trap others in its trap. Here's I think, what I think we need to glean from verse 20, and that's this. God isn't just intolerant of Jezebel's sin. He's intolerant of yours and mine too. And I've got my own sin problems and you've got your own. He's just as intolerant of your sin and my sin as he was hers. So to somehow water over that to say, listen, I'm not an adulteress. I'm not a, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not a, I'm not a, the things that I'm not are unimportant. The things that I am that don't look like Jesus are what's important. And he's saying, he's saying here, get rid of that. Don't tolerate that in your life. Don't tolerate it in her. Don't tolerate it in the church. And don't tolerate it in yourself. The more tolerant you become, uh, the, more, the less like me you look and the less like me you think. Seldom does it mean making progress. Does it mean more tolerance? Thirdly, making pro- uh, progress is a well-rounded pursuit. It seldom means more tolerance. But thirdly, making progress is recognizing that tolerance has a price. Look at verse 22 and 23 with me. Tolerance has a price. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead 
All the churches will know that I'm the church, that I'm the one who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. He says here, those who commit adultery with her will suffer intensely. Now, what do you think he means by intensely? You don't want to know. You just don't want to know. Look at the plagues in the children of Israel. Look at the plagues in Pharaoh to draw the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was serious about them. He was serious about getting Pharaoh's attention. And those were intense at the time. When he says intense, you know what he means? Intense. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't fluff over it. He doesn't say, let me, let me, let me start easy with you. He says, no, I'm going to get your attention as quickly as I can to show you that I mean what I say. Now, here's something else that's interesting in 22 and 23. Your idea, and usually mine, of accountability is that you answer for your sin and I answer for mine, right? Look at what he says here in verse, <clears throat> verse uh, 20, 22. I'll make those who commit adultery with, with her suffer intensely. Watch this. Unless they repent of her ways. Unless they repent of her ways. Meaning that you have to answer for her ways and yours at the same time. If you walk in her ways. If you allow yourself to be lured into that false truth, you're not only going to have to answer for, for being lured into that false truth, you're going to answer for her luring you there as well. God's equation is a little more strict than ours, isn't it? He says that you're going to answer for your ways, you're going to answer for hers as well because you're participating in her, her evil, her sin, her wrong. It's a little more serious, isn't it? As I think back on my life about the things that I've walked to places, the decisions I've made that didn't honor God, have I answered for my own sin and for the one who lured me there at the same time? Perhaps so. He says here that uh, you, unless they repent of her ways, you're going to, to have to answer for both of those. Now, in essence saying, not only did I drink her poison, I allowed her to poison others around me as well. I allowed that poison to penetrate the church, and I participated in it, and also encouraged others to participate in it by my own participation. He says here, you allowed the poison to go beyond yourself. Well, still not convinced? Look at what, what he says next. I'm going to kill her kids. I'm going to kill her children. You think he's not serious about <laughs> his intolerance of sin, the disdain with which he looks on willful disobedience? He says, I'm only going to make you answer for her sin. I'm going to kill her kids in the, in the process of this. I'm going to get everybody's attention about my intolerance of sin. He is serious when it comes to that. Look at the last part of verse 23. He says here, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. I'm the one who searches hearts and minds. I'm the one who searches hearts and minds, and I'm the one who will repay you for your deeds. Look at this description in verse 18 of how he describes himself. These are the words, watch this, of the Son of God. Watch, those whose eyes are like blinding fire, blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Do you get that picture? There's a picture of one standing before us with burning fire in his eyes and his feet bronzed. In essence, to say, one who had the power to create you in the womb has the power to end it for you as well. The one who died for you on the cross has the power to judge that same sin that you've repented of at the cross. The one who stands before you, and John describes him, John 1 describes him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And just as the cross was a great picture of grace, this is a clear picture of truth. There's truth all over this letter here to say, Yes, I'm the same one who loved you, who died for, my, for your sin, who was beaten and, and, held, and nailed to the cross in anguish for you. Yet here I am to judge that same sin that I forgave because I walk this balance of grace and truth. I pour grace all over your sin, but there is a reckoning as well. And the reckoning is just as serious as the grace is. The reckoning is just as real as the grace is. There's a picture here of truth and balance. 
There are some things that he won't stand for and he won't tolerate. And here's the lesson. We shouldn't either. He doesn't tolerate him. We shouldn't either. We shouldn't look with, with welcoming uh, open arms at, the, at what the world leads to us and, and pours into our life, by, whether it's by way of the, me, the media or, or however else it gets into our mind, into our life, into our walk. We, we, have in our, we have in the church developed an increasing amount of tolerance for the things that I believe he looks at to say, why have you allowed that five minutes of your thoughts? Why have you allowed that to enter your mind, to enter your, enter your, how, the things you think about? And I wonder in my own life, the things I've tolerated, the things I've allowed to filter through my mind, that God says, why are you wasting a second's time on that? Why are you tolerating that kind of thought? Why are you dwelling on that longer than you should? Because I'm intolerant of it, or because he's intolerant of it, I should be as well. Recognizing tolerance has a price, and it's a pretty serious price, as we see in 22 and 23. Finally, though, the fourth thing is this. Not only is making progress a well-rounded pursuit, not only does it seldom mean greater tolerance, not only is it recognizing tolerance has a price, but finally, making progress can look like navigating a minefield. Look with me at verses 24 and 25. It can look like navigating a minefield. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to the teaching of those who have, learned, who have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any, any other burden on you except to hold on what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have. He's saying, you guys have not learned Satan's so-called deep, dark secrets. You've held on. So hang in there. Hold on to what you're holding on to. You've, you've navigated through the temptations, through the perils of sin, and, 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 and not walked away from me, and not said, okay, I'm, I'm jumping in. I'm, I'm, I'm with Jezebel. I want to follow up that way. I want to try and straddle the fence between what I know to be true and what, I, what feels to be right to me. He said, you, you haven't done that. Some of you held on. Hang on, he says. Here's, here's a question for you I have in regards to this. What are you holding on to? Now, when, when the Lord gave Moses the laws <clears throat> on Mount Sinai, he says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? A staff, a stick. Throw it down. Throw it down, it becomes a snake. Now pick it up. <laughs> Picks it up, becomes a staff again. He's saying, what do you have? What are you holding on to? What what tools are in your tool belt? What, what are the things that, that have in a hard place gotten you through? And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you for over and over and over again for me, and I, I point this out because of the seed that's been sown in me by parents who revered the word in this book. And I would say to you as well, the things that you hold on to ought to be things that are grounded in the truth of God's word. What is that for you? Is it your job? Is that what you hold, hold on to in times that get hard? Is it your marriage? Is it your reputation? When it gets tough, and life is hard to navigate. What do you hold on to? What do you cling to? He said, saying here that we need to hold on to things that matter. He tells us in verse 25 here to hold on the promise of his return. To those who are victorious and do my will to the end, to the end, I will give the authority over the nations. He's saying, I'm coming again. There's an end to this. This has a season. If you're holding on to my, to my return, holding on to the promise of my return, you're holding on to the right things because those things are based in his word. So if that's true, then we navigate the, the, the pitfalls, the potential pitfalls of this life with the promises of this book. We navigate the pitfalls of this life with the promises of this book. He said, if you're holding on to the promise of my return, you're holding on to How do we know about the promise of his return? It's in this book. If you're holding on to the promise of my return, you're holding on to the promises in this book. He said, that's the right thing to hold on to. You can navigate life by holding on to those kinds of things. And that kind of navigation has its reward. Look at 26 and 27. 
those who are victorious, I will give the authority over the nations. They will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my father. I'm going to give you that same kind of authority to rule over the nations, he says. Progress has a payday. I made straight A's one time in my life. I can't even remember. It's so pivotal, I can't even remember the year it was. But I made straight A's one time in my life. And um, as I recall, uh, my mom went to her little bottom drawer in her in the bottom left drawer in her dresser, got out her little manila envelope <clears throat> from her piece of money that she kept in that, in that envelope and gave me a piece of money. I, was, I don't remember how much, but a dollar, five dollars, whatever it was. It was my reward for straight A's. And, and I don't know whether I thought less of the reward that I didn't make straight A's again, or I don't, I don't know what the, what the, how that didn't equate to me that I didn't do that much anymore. But I remember there being a payday for that. I remember there being something to glean from, from drawing straight A's. He's saying, yeah, there's a payday for hanging on to me. There's a payday for progress. There's a payday for looking at things that, that, that are wrong and sinful and, and, and declaring that by not walking in that way and by, by being willing to say that on your own. But he said, there's a payday for, for making progress in me, in your walk with me as, as it concerns your deeds, as it concerns your love, as it concerns your service, your perseverance, your faith. There's a payday in walking and growing with me in balance that, that, that has its reward. Now, not only here, but he says the hereafter is going to be the great reward. And it's, it's, it, it's certainly worth hanging on to the, 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 the promise of progress. So how do we get there? How do I get to a place of progress? How do I, you say, Tim, I, I don't even see the things I need to see. I don't even understand what's wrong with me sometimes because I don't, I don't have a clear enough grasp of his word to see what is tr- truth from what isn't. How do I get that? Well, I would encourage you to do this, to ask God to reveal to us where we've allowed tolerance to find its way into compromise. Because the places I've allowed tolerance to move and change to become compromised, I've absorbed it. I've I've said it's okay, and I'm willing to to at least ignore it, if not walk in it. And so I was intolerant of it at first. My tolerance grew to it, and now my tolerance has grown to where I've compromised that very truth that I held to be dear and held on to at the beginning. Ask God to reveal those places to you. And let me tell you what he will do. He's going to reveal them to you because he doesn't want you walking in compromise. He doesn't want you walking in intolerance. He wants you walking in truth, not in darkness. His spirit and his word, the combination of those two things will reveal those places to you where you've allowed tolerance to veer off in in this path of compromise. As I often say, that seldom occurs instantly. It occurs incrementally over time. That's the way the enemy works, a step at a time, a decision at a time, uh, ignoring this at a time, absorbing this at that one time. And over, over a period of Years, sometimes even decades, we find ourselves waking up to say, I didn't believe this 10 years ago. I didn't tolerate this position 20 years ago. And now the, the culture has moved, moved me to a place where not, I not only have absorbed this, I'm kind of walking in it. I'm almost looking like it again. How did I get here? Well, I got there over time. I got there incrementally. And I need to, I need to ask God to show me those places where tolerance has turned into compromise. Now, why is this so important? Because compromise has a way of keeping us in bondage. Compromise has a way of keeping us in bondage. How? The enemy will say to you, what happened to you? What happened to your positions? What happened to your theology that you held so dear? What happened to the the, the things that were bedrock in you, the things you believed come hell or high water that you knew to be true again and again and again and again? What happened to those things? What happened to those things is your God can't be trusted. Your God isn't real. Your God doesn't care about you. 
how would he let you get in this state over this amount of time? Compromise can move us into places of bondage. One decision, one, one instance, one circumstance, one situation at a time. We never, look, we never intend to walk there. but We find ourselves waking up there years later and wondering how we got there. We got in that place of bondage by learning, allowing tolerance to become compromise and allowing compromise to become a way of life. And again and again and again, it has seized us and has a grip on us. We think we can't get out of it, and we can. We can't. We have to revisit those five things to get out of them, but we can. So what are those for you today? What, what areas that and as I, my, my own heart is convicted as, as this rolls off my lips to, to allow things that I've tolerated in my life and in my world that I've compromised on that I think now it's not that big a deal anymore. I hear the Lord saying, it is to me, son. It is to me. 